Psalm 15. Next week, I plan to return to the Gospel of Matthew and maybe stay there a while. We'll see. But this week, I felt called away from Matthew again and back into the Psalms once more. As I've said a number of times this year, for me, 2019 is a year of Psalms. Every morning with my cup of coffee, sitting on the end of the couch next to the window, Psalms, Psalms, Psalms. I'm up to Psalm 69 now in my daily times with the Lord. But when I thought about our high school graduates, May Jen, Laura, Robin, Hudson here with us today, and what they might want, what we might want to say to them on graduation Sunday, my mind immediately went to Psalm 15. I didn't really know why right away. I, I was talking about it with Heather Joy, and Psalm 15 is just what jumped to the front of my brain. And so I went and I looked at Psalm 15 more closely, and I realized what attracted me to it in the first place was that there's this description in Psalm 15 of a person who will never be shaken. Psalm 15 ends with the words, He who does these things will never be shaken. Which reminded me of what we looked at on Mother's Day. Do you remember that a few weeks ago? This is almost word for word what we saw on Mother's Day from Psalm 62. That sermon was called Unshaken Moms. In Psalm 62, David wrote, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And I realized that that's what I want for our graduates. And not just for the ones that were the first graduate ever of the Mitchell Homeschool. So we could call this message unshaken grads. To go with unshaken moms. But as it's really for all of us, and there are only a few grads, I just went with the title, Never Shaken. Never Shaken. There will be many things that threaten to shake us in this life. But they don't have to shake us. They don't have to win. We don't have to be knocked off of our feet and pushed down the hill. There is a life that is unshakable. And that's what David is singing about in this psalm, Psalm 15. Let's pray together and then study it verse by verse. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to live a life that's unshakable. I know that in this world I will have trouble. Jesus said that. He's totally realistic in his predictions and assessments. But he said that we should take heart because he's overcome the world. And if that's true, then I can, I can be unshakable. I can be unshaken. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. But I can have peace. And I pray that for all of us here, that we would live those kind of lives. I pray that for our graduates. And I pray that for each one of us. That we would know this unshakable life. Would you do that in us? Would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight? Would you do that to us? 
this morning through the preaching of your word. Help us to hear it and know it and have it sink into us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This song starts with a question. There are actually two questions in verse 1, but the Hebrews like to repeat themselves. The Hebrews love to repeat themselves. Did I mention that the Hebrews love to repeat themselves? Verse 1 is yet another example of what we call Hebrew parallelism. The Hebrews love to repeat themselves. They say one thing, and then they say it again so that we get the point. The two questions David asks in verse 1 are really two versions of the same questions. Let's look at it. Verse 1, a psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? So we see from verse 1 that this is a song about qualifications. Don't you just love a good song about qualifications? Can you think of another song about qualifications? They're there. This is a song about a certain kind of person who is qualified. Notice that verse 1 is a prayer. David talks to Yahweh. He talks to his God. David talks directly to Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And he asks him a question. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? What is he talking about? Well, I don't think David literally meant who can live in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the sacred tent that the NIV in 1984 calls the sanctuary. The holy hill in verse 1 is Zion where David pitched the tabernacle and eventually Solomon placed the temple. The temple mount is the holy hill. I don't think that David expected any humans to literally live in the tabernacle. Even the priests didn't do that. But he did expect some to come for a visit. Some scholars have thought that this psalm was an entrance song that would be sung as worshipers came to bring their sacrifices to the tabernacle. And that could be. But we're not going to see in verses 2 through 5 that the answer to the song's opening question is it's not someone who does the right rituals. That's not what the song is about. Now, there were right rituals for worshipers to do in the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus lays them out nicely for us to read. But that's not what this psalm celebrates. This psalm celebrates a certain kind of heart, a certain kind of character, a certain way of life. A person who exhibits a certain kind of way of living their lives before the Lord. We could say that this psalm sings about the kind of person that God wants to be with. What kind of a person does God want to be with? What kind of a person does God want to dwell with, fellowship with, enjoy their personal presence? Remember, the tabernacle was an earthly symbol of the presence of God, right? It's a tent. Where was it placed in Israel? At the very center, that's right. It was a tent in the middle of a city of tents to celebrate the centrality and the presence of God. A home in the middle of God's people for them to visit, to be with their God. What kind of a person does God want in His house? 
How would you answer that question? If you were writing this song, what would you play out as you wrote the answer in your song? Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Well, the rest of this song answers that question for us. It's like a list of what God is looking for from his people. It's not an exhaustive list. This is not like a checklist. Do that, do that. Yep, I'm there, got that. It's more like a representative list. And it's not a replacement for the Ten Commandments or even the Sermon on the Mount. It's just a song that paints a beautiful picture of a godly person. The kind of person God wants to dwell with. And today it's my prayer that our graduates and all the rest of us live like this song sings. I've summarized it today in five application points. Here's the first one. Walk the walk. What kind of a person does God want to relate to in his home? Who gets past the security and is welcomed in? Verse 2. He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. In other words, someone who walks the walk. This is not just somebody who goes through the motions. It's not just somebody who's all talk. But somebody who actually lives their lives with integrity. That word blameless there in verse 2 does not mean perfect. It means ethical or whole. It means somebody who practices what they preach. Ethical rightness, not moral perfection. We would say he walks with integrity. He does the right thing. That's what he's known for. She does the right thing. May Jen, Laura, Robin, Hudson do the right thing. I think that this quality goes first in the song because it summarizes all the rest of it. If you want to know what walking the walk looks like, you just read the rest of verses 2 through 5 and you'll see. We all know what the opposite looks like, right? It looks like a hypocrite. All talk, no walk. One of the greatest compliments that I ever received was from a man named David, whom I worked for in the summer of 1993. That was the summer I was on the circus. He was a pastor, but I'm not sure what he really believed. David told me that the Bible was, ready, a pretty good attempt by man to explain God. But that's it. I don't think he really believed that the Bible was from God, that it was God's Word. But David and I spent a lot of time together that summer. He was the director of the circus. And this is what he said to me at the end of our time together. He said, Matt, you are the only fundamentalist, and by that he meant somebody who believed the Bible, you're the only fundamentalist I've ever met that lived out what you preach. Now that was sad to me, that he didn't know any other genuine Christians, but it encouraged me so much that he believed that I was the real deal and that it showed in how I lived. God wants his people to actually live out what we believe. Walk the walk. Number two, talk the truth in love. As disciples, we do have to talk, but we have to talk the truth. And we have to talk it in love. Look at verse two again. What kind of person does God want to relate to in his home? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. That last bit is really important. From his heart. So here it's talking the talk that goes along with the walk, right? For real, from 
the heart. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? It'll be a thousand years after this songwriter wrote Psalm 15 that his great, 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 great grandson would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of our mouths? May Jen, Laura, Robin, Hudson, what comes out of your mouths? Or to update it to 2019, what comes out of your thumbs, right? What kind of communication is issuing from our hearts? Verse 3, the one who dwells with God has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. See how he uses his words? See how she uses her words? She uses them in love. She doesn't lie about her neighbor, her co-worker, her friend, her enemy. She doesn't pass along the juicy gossip to others. Here's the word that I think of when I think of verse 2. This person is safe. This person is safe. Not only do they have integrity, but you feel safe around them. Your reputation is safe with them. What you tell them is safe with them. They're not going to use what you say in a destructive or hurtful way. What they say is true, yes. But more than that, they use their words to build others up and care for the people around them. Words are so powerful, friends. How are we using them? Especially on social media. Who is listening to us when we're broadcasting our thoughts? Are we safe people? Does verse 3 sound like you? This one has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, and casts no slur on his fellow man. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, or Snapchat, or whatever the newest thing is. The one whom God wants in his house is a safe person. People feel safe around them because of how they talk the truth in love. Number three, honor the godly. Not only do they walk the walk and talk the truth, but they walk with the wise. Look at verse 4. What kind of person does God want to relate to in his home? The one who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. Now this one might come as a bit of a surprise. To hear that the godly person despises another person, despises a vile man. Well, it doesn't mean that he's not also supposed to love that vile man as well, to love them for Christ. But he doesn't love them for who they are or how they act. He doesn't honor them. He doesn't honor the dishonorable. He doesn't celebrate the evil. No, he honors those who fear the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. This is a wisdom psalm. It has all these two ways, not this way, but this way, not this way, but this way. This kind of person honors the wise. She honors the believer. She stands with the godly. In many ways, this is about choosing your friends. And this is true for our graduates who are just being released out into the world. May Jen, Laura, Robin, Hudson, whom are you going to associate with? Who will be your closest friends? It's also true for all the rest of us. We need to be careful with whom we stand, with whom we talk, with whom we walk. 
Solomon says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I think we really get into trouble when we begin to honor those who are dishonorable. I see this also on social media. Not that we don't do it in other arenas of life, but it's on display when we broadcast it on the internet. I see Christians praising and honoring and celebrating some of the worst kinds of people and the worst kinds of behaviors. Now, I'm not saying that we need to spew out outrage and shame on the internet uh, either. There's plenty of that out there already. But whom do we stand with? Who do we support? Who do we honor? If somebody looked at your social media accounts, would they know that you stand with the godly? Could they tell that you honor the honorable? Do you honor those who fear the Lord? God wants the people in his house, so to speak, that to honor the kind of people he wants in his house. Honor the godly. Number four, keep your word. Verse four again, what kind of person does God want to relate to in his home? The one who keeps his oath even when it hurts. This is the kind of person who keeps their promises even when it is no longer advantageous to do so. I know that's not how the world works, right? The world says if you can find a better deal somewhere else, then break your contract if you can to, and if you can get away with it. But God says, "No, keep your word even when it hurts." The world should be able to look at the church and rightly assume that a handshake will be enough. Sadly, that's not the case in general. But let it be the case with us. May Jen, Laura, Robin, Hudson, let it be so with you. Keep your word, even when it hurts. Last one. Love, mercy, and justice. Look at verse 5. What kind of person does God want to relate to in his home? Who does he want to drop by? The one who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. I don't think that David is saying we can never have a business transaction where we charge interest. He's not saying we shouldn't put our money in a savings account. You know, that's, that's you charging the bank interest, right? He's saying that we should not practice predatory lending. In Israel at the time, Israelites were not allowed to charge interest to fellow Israelites. In general, they could loan some money and keep a safety deposit to ensure repayment. But they weren't allowed to charge interest because if another Israelite had to borrow money, it meant that they were in trouble. They had experienced some extreme hardship. They weren't just using, they weren't just looking for capital to build a business or something like that. They had experienced extreme loss and were poor and needed help. What do you do when your brother or sister is in trouble like that? How do you see them? Well, the world sees them as an easy mark, right? I once got a, a, um, an invitation to get a credit card in the mail. You ever get invitations to get credit cards in the mail? Yeah, I get one like once a month or maybe three a month. And this one said the introductory rate was 17%. And I thought, who signs up for a credit card at 17%? You know what the answer is? The poor. The people that have to. 
the people that are being taken advantage of. The world sees an easy mark. Payday loans, high interest rates, extortion. They have no other options, so it's a great chance to get rich off of them. But see, God is looking for the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, our Lord said. When you see a person in trouble, you don't say, ha ha, I know what I can get from them. You see a person in trouble and you say, what could I give them? It's not illegal to charge somebody exorbitant interest rates, but that's not the kind of heart that God is seeking from his people. God would rather that we lost money keeping our word or lost money helping the needy than if we shrewdly held on to every penny and saw it grow. And more than mercy, he also desires that we love justice. Solomon says, a wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. That's not the kind of person God wants to hang out with. God cares what we do with our money. He wants us to seek justice with it. He wants us to put our money where our hearts are supposed to be. Honorable in all of our dealings and beyond honorable, generous. It's so easy to cut corners though, isn't it? We may not ever be in a position to actually take a bribe for lying in court. But we're often tempted to trim the truth in our favor, aren't we? To not say it like it is if it hurts us and helps somebody else. But that's the kind of person that God wants to dwell with. That's the kind of person that God wants over at his house. What kind of people do you want in your house? Well, this is the kind of person that God is looking to relate to in his home. People who walk the walk, people who talk the talk in love, people who honor the godly, people who keep their word, people who love mercy and justice. Kind of sounds like Micah 6.8, doesn't it? He has showed you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. David ends the psalm with verse 5. He who does these things will never be shaken. David says more than just that these kind of people are welcome to visit at God's house. He says that they will have a quality to their life that is unshakable. They won't be moved. Right? You can push on them and they don't go anywhere. Now he's not disagreeing with himself from Psalm 62. In Psalm 62, back on Mother's Day, we learn that we get this unshakableness from trusting in God. It's not like he's saying, well, yeah, some people trust God and get unshakableness, but you, you like live for God and you'll get unshakableness from that. The two go together. Remember Psalm 62, he said, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. See, Psalm 62 and Psalm 15, they go together perfectly. They're not in conflict with one another. Psalm 15 tells us what a person lives like who trusts God like Psalm 62 tells them to. You can't do Psalm 15 without faith in God. Psalm 62 and Psalm 15 go together. What we told the moms is true, and what we tell the grads is true for all of us. The kind of Psalm 62 faith 
makes us into different kind of people. Psalm 15 people. People who live like this will never be shaken. How do you feel right now? Hungry? Ready for some tacos? My guess is that you're also feeling a little uneasy. Whenever I read Psalm 15, I, I just kind of feel a little uneasy. Kind of. Here's why. Because when I read Psalm 15, I don't say, yeah, that's me. Do you? When you read Psalm 15, you're like, yeah, basically it's like a picture of my life, right? When I read Psalm 15, I, I actually sometimes feel despair. Because I know how much I have not walked the walk. I know how many times I've lied and slandered and gossiped and not been a safe person for others. I know how many times I have honored the dishonorable and ignored the godly. I know how many times I've broken promises when it served me. When I have taken advantage of the weak and overlooked injustice when it was to my own advantage. I know how far I have missed the mark. <laughs> I probably don't know how far I have missed the mark. And when I think about that, I realize how wonderful it is that the Psalms are not just about us, but are about Jesus. David knew how far he had fallen. David knew the blessings of being forgiven. Read Psalm 32 this afternoon. Psalm 32 is just as true as Psalm 15. The two go together. Jesus is the only person in history who could sing this song about himself and have utter confidence that he could dwell in the sanctuary and live on the holy hill. Just think about Jesus at the end of the Gospels. When he goes into the, the temple, what does he start to do? Clean house, right? And why? Because it's his house. He belonged there in ways that we never would on our own. Jesus is the who of verse 1. He's the perfect singer of verses 2 through 5. And he was not shaken. He was unshakable, even facing the cross.